What is your freedom worth to you? Each of our guests had a light bulb moment. They longed to live rather than merely exist. They smashed through their fears and programmed minds, trusting themselves, their faith and their survival instincts. Leaving the guilt, fear, oppression and drudgery of their past. For a brighter future. They took a brave and courageous step into Freedom. This is their story of how they got a life. Welcome to Get a Life Podcast, Excult Conversations. You matter and so does your story. Hola amigos. Welcome back to Get a Life Podcast, Excult Conversations. We're here with the original OG crew and a special friend of mine, Todd Coulter. Um, me and Todd have become really close over the last little while. We weren't, we didn't really know each other in the church, but we've been talking a lot and Todd has some crazy stuff to share. His life has been wild, but he's such an amazing person. So I'm really happy to introduce him. And he also has some, some news about the PBCC that he's going to share with us. Go ahead, Todd. Well, obviously I'm Todd Coulter. I'm from the East coast of, uh, United States, um, I came from a big family of 10 people, uh, 10 kids, and obviously the parents, so it was 12. Um, so before I go on to my story, um, I would like to share some news that I got on Sunday from a good friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Thomas from um, Australia. Uh, he, called, he reached out to me and asked if he could chat with me, and it sounded quite urgent. <clears throat> so... His daughter left um, in 2019. Uh, she wanted to pursue college and um, a university of some sort. And so she just up and left, uh, didn't let her parents know, left a note and off she went. <clears throat> um, the Sunday after that, um, they were all in the Sunday meeting and whoever was taking the reading at that point uh, brought it up that they caused their child to leave of some sort, you know, whatever the wording was, I don't know, but they all looked at each other, Jonathan, his wife, his ex-wife now, Carrie and their son, which has special needs, um, all closed their Bibles in the middle of the meeting and got up and walked out. And that was it. <clears throat> um, so they obviously have been, you know, gone through a lot. Since leaving, he has always been gay. He he um, knew it in there, but he knew they were looked down on. So he was forced to be married to a female, which they did have two children. Um, but when his daughter left, he she, for some reason, has put a restraining order against him um, for never for him never to have contact with her ever again. Um, so <clears throat> she's, you know, pursuing college and everything. And after leaving, I've actually had a couple Zoom calls with both of them before they got divorced and everything. Um, and then he came out and told them that, told me that they were getting divorced 
and that he came out as being gay and, you know, they were going to separate. Um, he still had legal right to his son because he was very close to him. So they saw him um, and he has now pursued his dream job of being a flight, a flight attendant at Qantas, which he is doing very well at. Um, he, uh, so they separated. Um, unfortunately, the brethren stepped in and had paid for all her court costs for the divorce. Uh, which was a red flag for me right in the beginning. Um, so he called me on Sunday and um, told me that his ex-wife and his son went back to the brethren. Um, his son texted him and said, Father, I will not have anything more to do with you. I am back with the brethren. And he was bad, badly treated in there because of his condition and stuff like that. So... Um, he, he obviously is going through an extremely tough time right now. Um, and one thing his ex-wife told him is he would never go back, even though they're paying for the court costs. Um, so pretty much he will never have contact with his son again. Um, and his daughter, there's always hope. There's always hope. There's, there is always hope. Um, but that, that has hit me pretty hard over the last yeah. Um, few, uh, you know, a few days. Um, he also told me that there was somebody over there that was also gay that left about 20 years ago. And he is going back to the brethren. Um, BDH just gave him a pile, uh, an envelope with $10,000 in cash and paid for some five star hotel, helping him get back in. Um, bribery so, upon bribery. Yeah, it is. And and it's, and the thing is, it's sad because a lot of these people have been taught to just love money, you know, yeah. and so they judge success by money. So as soon as they get into a tight spot, it's like they feel like shame for having no money. And then they go, oh, well, the brethren's got money, right? And the brethren just knows that they can just offer the money, put them up in a hotel like that. It's so well, that's what I that's what I told Jonathan on Monday night. I said, unfortunately, she knows she is going to be taken care of in there. Yeah. She's not going to have to worry about a job ever again. She will probably have a place to live. Unfortunately, her son is always going to be treated badly regardless um, and even worse now that he was gone for, you know, two or three years. Um, so he's obviously devastated. He's, you know, obviously pretty low. Um, so, but you know, sometimes Todd, sometimes, I, I mean, I thought about going back once, right? Now, I wasn't planning on staying back. I just wanted to get my green card to the States. But I think once it's opened, once the door is opened a little bit, right, you may go back, but permanently stay back. You're, you, the chances that you'll permanently stay back are less. Not saying yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're going to leave again, but the chances are lower that they'll stay back in because yeah. it's hard to rewire the brain back to that way of thinking, right? Yeah. Back to this judgmental hatred of other humans and thinking they're they're better than them and and thinking that only matters is money and and all that way of thinking it's hard to go back into that yeah. so i hope 
I hope that they learn when they're back there. I hope they actually listen to what the brethren say in the meetings. Read the Bible. Read what it actually says. It's terrifying. You don't want to be in there. There's no fun and joy, right? It's so well, it's, they might go back for it's temporary, but I really hope that they that they learn from their time back in there. Well, it's you know from all I've learned since I've left, um, which actually marks six years on Friday. Oh wow! Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it is becoming more and more how BDH wants to twist the scriptures mm-hmm. to suit his financial needs and his his wealth and how he can control 50,000 people. Yeah. It's and this game, this, this game is so old. It's being played yeah. a million times by a million other cult leaders throughout history. Just read it. And yeah. he's just like all the other ones uses the, the words and he can twist them and make anything out of it. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. Right. Well, and, I, and yet go on. No, I was going to say, I, I met my uncle, which is 76, on, on Sunday for breakfast. And I told him, he's very, you know, he likes going to church. And I, if that helps him, that's fine. But I told him, you got to remember one thing. We, Me and you could read the exact same verse of scripture, and I will interpret it completely different than you. And I said, that is what's happened in there. You've got to remember that scripture was produced by a man and... And re- the Bible was rewritten by a man, and it was his own. It was his own thinking. It wasn't word for word on how you cut whatever Bible second. he read it from. Um, so, you know, he obviously thanked me for that, but it's still, you know, he's been out for forty some years or fifty years. So, um. <laughs> But yeah. So we're when when did you leave? Let's start off with your story and just maybe let the viewers know um, where you're from. So I just... am from I am from Westfield. That was the locality I was from. Okay. Um. So I was from a family of ten children. I was the third in line. Um. And um. I just, you know, from a young age, I have to say it wasn't that way growing up. It was, you know, pretty standard practice. But obviously, as the years went on and more technology came out, you could see the scriptures being twisted and more was about BDH and John Hales and just everything started twisting more about BDH, his sons. It wasn't about the scripture. It was more about them. Um. I was in his presence three times and never felt anything. It was the biggest joke I've ever had. Um, you know, one time I was completely drunk. I don't remember a thing because that's what they did. You know, yeah. the minute you walk through the door, you were handed a hard drink. It was just what it was. I mean, it was, you know, um, unfortunately, I think they used alcohol to inebriate people. So they didn't really, you know, they sort of just went with the flow. Um, of what was going on but you know unfortunately schooling as I grew up schooling was just starting you know so we were in local rooms we were you know in people's basements we were you know there was no 
true teacher. There was no principal. Uh, so kids really just really did what they wanted. Um, and unfortunately, it never gave me a fair chance. Um, I never got the proper teaching I needed. Um, you know, like so teaching, I, like, like education, like high school education, education, you mean, you know, proper reading, proper, you know, writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have trouble writing. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at it, but I had trouble writing. But if I knew what I know now, if I was in a proper school, I wouldn't have those problems. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was that way all, all along. And then, you know, they took me out of brethren, brethren school for a little bit put me into public school in middle school. And it just never, it never really, you know, got myself into trouble, you know, looking up stuff on, you know, the computers. Cause all of a sudden I realized you could go into the library and pretty much look up whatever you wanted. Um, and we weren't taught what was right and wrong. So, you know, you didn't know anything about computers. So I just thought, great, let's just go start looking stuff up. You know, so I was caught with looking up, you know, pictures of naked women and, you know, all of a sudden I was kicked out of school and they're like, oh, this guy's got a problem. And, you know, when you look back on it, you didn't have the proper health care, health education and what was right and wrong. You know, you only knew what was wrong. You didn't know what was right. Yeah. What, what, um, what young boy doesn't want to look up some titties and naked women, right? Like No, I and, and that's the thing, but it's like. They didn't, they didn't guide you. And like, you don't do that in public no. school. They, no, you exactly. You know, you, you don't, they don't, they don't guide you. Like, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, you're wrong. You or look up naked yeah. women, you know? Yeah. Um, but then from a, it just started, it really started in, uh, you know, middle school. It just, you know, I, I actually enjoy talking, you know, I have better conversations sometimes with women than men, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunate, not I, dude. Don't say, yeah, that's fine. That's totally yeah. fine. Um, but I mean, I have great, I have great guy friends too, but I just sometimes feel more comfortable chatting with a female. Um, so even that was looked down on in, uh, in the church. Like I would be chatting with a married woman at church or even a single woman. And I got chastised for it. You know, why are you talking to that lady by yourself? It's like, I can't have a fucking conversation, excuse my French. With, oh no, that French is allowed on here. Um, I can't have that chat with that lady. It's like, you know, it's not like we're going off in a car together or, you know, but they always assume way more than what was actually happening. You think, you know? Todd, that's because they over-sexualize everything? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it just really started as a young age. And then it just, you know, just kept, and then, you know, I got to the age where you could masturbate and, you know, obviously that was looked down on quite a bit and very much so. Um, and then even looking at women walking along the road, you know, my father would chat, you know, just beat it into me. Why are you looking at her? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Um, you know, anytime I did masturbate, it was, you know, you had to bring it to the priests. Um, so it just really just kept, it was just nonstop, nonstop. And then obviously as I got older, you know, I wasn't allowed a Blackberry. I was only allowed a flip phone uh, because you could look up stuff on Blackberries that you couldn't look up on flip phones. Um, 
I couldn't have a Blackberry. So it just, it just was nonstop. I was, I actually got fired from one of my last jobs, second to last job in there because I'm going to use his name in here because he's, he's a prick pretty much. Jay Mornin made up a story about a woman in that was working in the office to Garth Walker, who I worked for, that I, uh, this lady was scared around me and she does not want me around her anymore. I happened to hear this and I actually faced the woman with it. And she said, I never made up any of those stories. I don't know where this came from. So I challenged both of them. And um, on, on the day I was fired, I actually, Garth Walker was standing, standing in front of me and Jay, Mar Jay Mornin was standing behind, behind, behind him. And it, it, made, it made me realize actually how much of a scaredy cat he was. And I told him right to his face, I'm like, you have to, you have to hide behind Garth, Garth because I'm going to beat you. That's how mad I was at him. And I said, you made up this story to get me fired because you knew how good I was for you. And, you know, that was the end of it. I packed up my stuff and walked out. Wow. There was how no, old were you at this point? Uh, that was about 2015. So I was, you know, early 30s. Okay. Um, and I just, that was it. There was no, you know, nothing else. I, I knew it was a whole crock of shit. I told my father it was. So it just, it kept going. Every job I had, it was just the same thing. Day in, it's day out. It's never, straight up bullying, Todd. Yeah. It's straight up no, it bullying is. you received. They never would let me have a sales job. They always said I was, that. that's not meant for you. Um, they, when I, my last job, I worked for Bruce Druckenmiller and I was put in the warehouse making $17 an hour and working 70 hours a week. And that was on salary. That wasn't hourly. Wow. And, and it just, it just was work-wise. It just, you know, my brother that was younger than me is still in there. He was like second in command and he was making a shit ton of money. And I'm like, what the hell is, you know, it just shows you, you kiss people's backsides and you, you bow and, down. And and for the listeners, right? Like when you're inside this call, you don't have a choice to get a job on the outside. Right. You can't just be like, I'm done with this work. I'm going to go find work somewhere else. No, you are limited to Plymouth Brethren businesses. You have so, to work for one. This is a good point that you just said, Lane. When I was fired from Garth Walker's place, were set up to find me a job. So I literally sat at home and I was told not to do unemployment because it would be a detriment to the company. So I literally did not do unemployment. I sat at home unpaid for literally three months till these two clowns found me a job. So they bullied you into not taking unemployment. Yes. That can't be legal. I know. Oh my goodness. Um, and that actually was not only one time. There was actually, a, when I used to work at Allmark Door Company, which is Gilbert Markham's company, I think they've sold it now. That happened to me too. I, I, 
Andrew Markham called me into his office and just said, you're done. I've heard bad reports about you. You're done. And I'm like, what reports have you heard? And he's like, I can't tell you. I've, and my brother, which is older than me, was one of my bosses. And I went to a couple other ones that were above me. And I said, have I done anything wrong? I just was told I'm not working here anymore. And they all looked at me and like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, I was just told by Andrew Markham. We had some really bad complaints about you and we're letting you go. That was it. Done. And I was told then also not to not to file unemployment because it's going to be bad against against all Mark Door Company. Firing you? They tell you not to get unemployment yeah. as well? The audacity of these people. Yeah. So, you know, and then through that time, you know, um, so that was one side of it. Then I had, you know, my personal side, you know, I had the sexual drive. I had, you know, the, just like any man and woman have the desire to look at women for what women to look at good fit yeah. men. I just tried to find any way I could to enjoy life. And that was just thrown at me like a ton of bricks. Um, I remember probably about 2017, uh, 2014, right after Roy Symington married Rhoda Markham. Um, I remember a priestly with him. I think it was because I was caught with a, a phone at one point. Well, I was caught many times with illicit phones. Um, and he, I think it was about the phone, but it might've been about me masturbating or something like this. But he, I remember sitting in his living room. It was my father. Of course, numbers was everything for them in Priestley's. The more men they had, the better they were. So it was Roy Simon to Dave Patterson and my father and me. And this one sticks in my mind the most because Roy stood up out of his couch and the look on his face scared the shit out of me. It was like he had flames coming out of his eyes. It was like his face was beat red. His eyes were beat red. He looked like the devil coming at you. And I still remember getting in the car and I'm like, I, I still was puzzled. Like I still was puzzled what was going on. And my father's like, did you see how upset he is by, by you doing bad things? What he, were these that, bad things that he was so mad about? I probably masturbation or, you know, I masturbated and was caught with a phone. It was probably one of those things. I was caught with a phone on a regular basis, a word they found, you know, an illicit phone on a regular basis. I, I could, illicit I lost count on how many phones. Right? Yeah, so I lost you were, count on how many were, phones I got caught with. So Todd, you literally were a normal, normal yeah. child, a normal kid. And yeah. this leader of the church, Roy Symington, who is a top dog, right, gets furious because he hears a young boy masturbates. Well, buddy, you are fucked. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that well is then, then, then the thing is, then you hear stories now coming out that you got men like him that have young women that make that woman, young underage woman, touch their private parts and masturbate over them. Now, how is that right? 
explain that. Yeah, see, and that's the problem, right? Is that they don't they don't educate people on the physiological part yep. and the maturity of puberty and what people go through. If they if they had that education in there and they would educate people on what the body's responses are, what it wants to do and how it's not bad. It's not bad. We wouldn't get these older men doing that kind of crap. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole hypocrisy of it in this kind of a situation is here you are, you know, a young man that's got its desires and needs and all those kinds of things that happen with mm -hmm. any human body without yeah. any education or anything behind it. And and I mean, we hear about this often when people have masturbated and stuff that they've got to stand up and they've got to be able to repent and they've got to hand it over to the priest. And those priests are sitting down there taking all this juicy information down. And then those priests are turning around and having complete, the most hypocritical behavior that happens behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that's just sad. It's, um, it, it really is sad. Why would you ever... Why yeah. would you ever ask a child that question teacher and ask them if they masturbate? That is yeah. wrong. It should be illegal. It is disgusting. Yeah, it, it really on, is. Todd. Um, so then, then I got to the age of like 17, 16, 17. Then the whole psychiatrist thing came into the question, you know, obviously everybody had depression in there. Everybody had anxiety in there. Um, and their best way of dealing with it was finding a psychiatrist that they could basically pay under the table and have him just dish out medications. So I, I started taking medications and, you know, going to a psychiatrist, everything wasn't covered by insurance. So it was like endless money, pissing money away. Like, you know, like, when I mean pissing money away, I mean, you know, $300 to see him, $500 in medications a month but that are not covered sorry, under insurance. Sorry to interrupt you, Todd. No. I, I just got a question. Did they tell you why they wanted you to go to a psychiatrist? Did they tell you that something was wrong with you? They told, they told me that you have um, ADHD is what they said. That's what the doctor pronounced it as. Um, every doctor I have, any any therapist I have seen since has said that's a crock of shit, basically. You know, you you were a normal human trying to have your desires and they were suppressing your desires. Interesting. Um, so then, you know, I switched through psychiatrists. You know, they even had psychiatrists come to my parents' house and talk to each one of our my brothers and sisters. Like we would sit in the patio and talk to them one after the other. It was like this fucking, you know, you're waiting for the bus. You know, okay, you're done. Boop, next one out. He'd get in his car and leave. Write down numerous prescriptions and off he goes. Who paid for that? Me. Me. They forced you to pay? Oh, I paid for everything. I paid for everything. Unbelievable. And now this is where the story starts getting really you know, once the medication thing starts happening, this is where the story really, um, then I, so then and one more I, question before you yes. go on, did you yep. choose that psychiatrist or did they provide? No, they, they chose it. They chose okay. it for me. That's very um, typical. And it's yep. usually extremely expensive. And a side note, I was never allowed to see a female doctor. 
I was uh, told that was a no-no. Wow. Take that. Wow. Um, and I even got I even got put chastised for having a woman cut my hair at a barbershop. My father said that is a worldly woman touching your head. <laughs> Explain that to me. Disgusting freaks. What it, it it's a small window into the weird thoughts that go on in their minds. Like that what? I look at my father, he produces, produces 10 kids. So I don't know. You know, he obviously figured out the birds and the bees pretty quickly. <laughs> so um, go on though. No. So then one of the times I was caught with an illegal phone, I unfortunately it was a mistake on my part. Um, I left it on my nightstand and my mother came to wake me up one morning and both phones were sitting next to each other. Um, so they let me go. And I, um, but I remember him, my father went into his room and said, Todd has been caught with this and he's wanting to leave. Cause I was at that point trying to figure out a way of leaving. And um, I still remember to this day came to me this was not long before he left. This was probably about eight months. And he said, why would you ever leave this beautiful position and, and throw everything away? And within eight months, I realized he was gone. Um, so, but anyway, they let me go to work. I was, I got to work, I got settled in and I was unloading a truck full of doors and um, I got, I got somebody from, the office came out and said, you need it. Can you please go in there? They would like to have a meeting with you in Andrew Markham's office, which was Gilbert Markham's brother. And I go into the room and I have Andrew sitting in his desk. I have Roy Simonton sitting there. I have my father sitting there and I have, I believe Dave Patterson sitting there. And here's Andrew Markham, not much older than me. Yeah, we're probably only a few years different in age, within five years. And he's my boss. And they bring up, now this is a priestly. They bring up in his office that I was caught with an illicit phone. And so we had a whole fucking meeting and everything. And guess what Roy Symington ends up saying to me? He says, Todd, hand that illicit phone to Andrew and he will take care of it for you. And I unfortunately had a bunch of pictures of naked women on there, which I'm sure he probably went through and looked at every one of them. Um, so I handed this phone over thinking I was doing what was right. I handed it over to Andrew Markham, which was nobody at that time. You know, I'm, I don't know what he is doing now, but. And my father at that point was going to be going out with the fam with a couple of the younger kids and my mom for the day. And Andrew said, you can go with your father for the day and I'll pay you for the day off. So I walked out of the office, went for a whole day with my father. And the next day I continued at work and just kept working. And I still to this day don't know why I handed the phone over. You know, I do because I, you know, they were told, I was told to. Um, but then it really, that's really where the turning point was for me. Um, and then, you know, time lapsed, you know, seeing psychiatrists being put on four or five different medications. 
Um, and uh, then probably about this, again, this was probably, um, I got, I saw a different psychiatrist again we changed psychiatrists because the, the one that we saw moved moved out of town. He went to work for a milita the military or something. Um, so another psychiatrist that they saw, you know, I guess they probably had a meeting with him and, you know, paid him all kinds of money to do what he needed to do, um, which I never felt any help from anyway. You know, once a month I would see him and we would pretty much talk about the same shit he would ask about how my family was doing and my brothers and sisters which all saw him too um and i have a younger brother that was seeing him as well and i remember the psychiatrist asking me about him quite a bit um we me and him actually at home didn't get along very well um it wasn't anything personal it was just probably because of the toxic you know family stuff you know there was no tv to watch there was no radio to listen to there was no nothing you know you sort of sat there and looked at each other and got pissed off at each other for day in and day out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and unfortunately since we've left we've actually come very very close um so it proves proves to you what the <laughs> environment of that cult does um but so day in and day out i saw him for years um, then this was before my other brother left in 2013. Um, I was told my younger brother, we're not getting along very well. So all of a sudden one day I was told I had to move out, shipped off to another older couple in the city. Um, because to, to make the family work is what they said. Um, Again, I was on four different medications and drinking very, very heavily because that's all they did in there, um, which there was never anybody telling me that, you know, you, you might not want to drink that alcohol because, you know, the medications you're on. Nobody ever stepped in and said that, not even the doctor. Like, hey, this medication you're on, you might want to watch your alcohol consumption. Nothing. Just kept going. Um so all of a sudden, one, one day, I was whisked out of the house, packed up all my stuff, moved down to, I'm going to say their names because I don't think they were, they're alive anymore, um, from what I know. Uh, Keith and Mary Locke, which probably a lot of you know who they are, which they never had kids because, just a little side note here, she had some difficulties producing eggs, I believe, now that I know what I know now. She never told Keith that she couldn't have kids before they were married. So they got married and he found out he would not be able to ever have children. So that's another thing there that irks me a little bit. So I moved into their basement. I was not allowed to have a vehicle there. I was not allowed to have a personal phone. Um, so they I were, shipped the, in there. The, the couple's rules? Like this couple? No, no, this rules is rules I had. No, no, this is the rules the priest set out and my father set out. Oh. Um, so I had to get picked up every day and taken to work. And it was a long way for my father to come. Like it wasn't like, you know, three or four blocks away. It was a good 20 minute drive in the morning. 
Um, so I'd get picked up every day. I'd get dropped off from somebody that lived near there that I worked along with would drop me off. Um, which Keith was a pretty big pervert anyway. He, and so then I lived there and it just was toxic, endless. Just, you know, I, I was sitting in the window one day looking out, looking out the window, just enjoying the view. And it happened to be a beautiful woman walk by, you know, jogging or walking by. Didn't realize it at the time, but Keith was standing behind me and said, Todd, what are you looking at that woman for? And I'm like, I turned around and I said, Keith, how do you know I is even looking at that woman? I said, I was looking at, I was looking out the window long before she even came into my view. So I said, that might be your, your, you saw the woman and is, and is putting the responsibility on me for yeah. looking out the window. So I Projection. said, stop blaming me for stuff. And they just never ended. You know, they tried to control what I drank there. Like day in and day out, I could have one glass of wine. Uh, at a break, I remember one time there, I had a glass of wine at lunchtime on a Sunday break. We got invited out to John Markham's for Sunday dinner. And I was told I could not drink any alcohol there. You know what and I told How old them? are you? You're in your 20s at oh, this point. Oh, I, right? was, I, was, I was late 20s at this point. I was well legal age to drink. There was no, it wasn't even a question of that. And he said, you will not be able to drink any alcohol tonight at dinner because you've already had a glass of wine at lunchtime. And I said, Keith, I am not here because of an alcohol problem. I'm going to tell you, I don't really know why I'm here. But I said, I am not here because I have an alcohol problem. And you're not going to stop me from drinking. So guess what's going to happen? I am not going out for dinner tonight. I am going to my room and that's where I'm going to be. Unfortunately, they never left. So I stopped them from going out to dinner. <laughs> I said, screw it. I am. Nah, that's they what stopped I'm themselves. Yeah. They stopped themselves. But man, like the manipulation yeah. they try Just, and put on an adult. That's mind blowing. Um, and, and then from Mary's side, she was a very unique individual. Um, and then it went on from there. Food I ate. I wouldn't eat some of her vegetables sometimes. Like just, I didn't feel like them. Carrots, yeah. peas, whatever it was. I just didn't feel like them that night. And I, it just got worse and worse as I stayed there. So I, one night I, I didn't eat food. I, it's something that she made I didn't want. And she's like, yeah. She got all pissed off and started screaming and hollering at me like, why won't you eat your food? I don't know how your mom ever did it. And I'm like, guess what? My mom never chastised me or blamed me because I wouldn't eat a vegetable. I just didn't feel like eating. And she you're how old that. at this point? I feel oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm probably in my late 20s. Like, like, like this 20s. is ridiculous. Yeah. I like treat you like a 10 year old. And, and I, yeah. I said, my, I truly said to her, I said, Mary, my mom would not treat me this way because I didn't eat a vegetable she put out. I was like, remember, we had 10 kids in our family. So everybody is, they're each individual human. They can choose what they want to eat. You know, my mom would tell me, you, you really need to eat some meat or, you know, something. You know, you can't just, you know, have a plate full of potatoes, you know, as a mom would do. Yeah. But remember, this is not my mom. Yeah. I had no You're relationship. You're a grown adult. No You're a grown-ass man. Yeah, I'm a grown-ass <laughs> man. So, um, and... She stormed out of the living room. She stormed out of the dining room. Wouldn't even eat. 
So I said, I said to her, I said, guess what? I can see why God never gave you any kids. <laughs> and Keith said, Todd, stop it. And I said, hey, I'm just stating facts. If she's going to treat me this way, how would she have been treating her children? And said, Todd, hey. Todd, stop it. That, that's mean. That's mean. I'm like, Keith, nothing against you. You would have been a great father. But I said, her, I could see why God never gave her the ability to have children. You would not, Todd, you do not treat a human that way. Todd, when someone gets bullied over and over and over and they come out and say something mean yeah. back, guess what? That's life. It was words. Okay. Yeah. Don't feel bad about it. It was words. So then when I er moved in there early, uh, another side note that she did, she tried to push me down the basement stairs one time because of some other outrageous thing. I called my father. Tell the right story. What's that? Tell, well, no, tell I don't the story. Even, like I don't how, even know what happened. I, I think, again, it was something to do with food. I wouldn't eat food. And she got up from the table and I was standing with my back to the basement stairs where I happened to be sleeping. And she literally pushed me, like literally forcefully pushed me. And thankfully, I grabbed the door frame and stopped myself from falling down 20, 20 stairs. And it wasn't a big landing at the bottom. So I would have I wouldn't have been I probably would have ended up in the hospital, to be, be quite frank. And I called my father and I said, Dad, this is outrageous. I'm coming home. And within an hour, my dad and Roy were at the doorstep calming me down. So I stayed there for another little while. But when I was there, this is where things really start turning. Um, well, I mean, they were pretty bad then. Um, I obviously still had a sex drive and still enjoyed, you know, women in general and that type of stuff. I got told I needed to go see Phil Truon in Detroit. Um, now so, he's a brethren doctor, right? He was brethren a brethren doctor. doctor. He was a certified doctor, brethren. It was the same. It was all the same era as like Dr. Kirkpatrick and a couple other ones, Phil Craddock. And, you know, that all pretty much used and abused their powers of being a doctor. Yeah. Um, so I happen to just have surgery, I think on my foot or hand, my wrist, actually, I had some, some kind of a surgery on my wrist, so I couldn't use my hand. So here's two grown adults trying to help me get dressed that I don't even know. It's not my father, not my mother. So I'm like, you know, half naked trying to get dressed out of a shower and I can't use one hand because it's in a cast, which was very weird, unfortunately. Um, but I was flown out to Detroit on my dime. I paid my father, father's flight, my flight, rented a car all on my dime, flew out to Detroit, drove to Phil Truen's house all in a day, Phil, flew out there, had, you know, never discussed any medications I was on, never discussed anything about it. Well, even if we did, he probably didn't know anything about the medications because he was probably drunk, but he wouldn't have known anything anyway. So he prescribes me this medication. And so hold on, I got to pause you there for a second, yep. because this is a doctor prescribing you a medication without asking what other medications you were on. Yes. That is insane. And, and no, I was on four medications at the time. Who prescribed those? Who prescribed your other medications? Was it the psychiatrist? Yeah, or the, the psychiatrist. Yeah, yes. something for ADHD and all that stuff. And so and it was the therapist that were chosen by the brethren that was prescribing you the medication. Yes. Yeah. And which never accepted any insurance. So everything was paid out of my pocket. 
And oh at any given month, I could spend it close to $500 on med- on medications. Um, so that, that was another thing. It was just like, I could never save money. It was just being pissed away, you know, and money was all controlled. At, at one point, I didn't have any control over my bank accounts. It was actually a priest in the in the brethren that had a full control over my bank accounts. Oh my father my, God. And mother were, my father and mother were on the accounts to get me money. Um, so How I did they do that? There. They just come and take your bank cards away, or oh, they just said we're gonna, you know, to help you save money, we're gonna, you know, assign this man to your to set up an account for you, and this is where your money is going to be. I had no access to it. I had nothing. I didn't know anything. Did you sign anything to say to say you approved that happening? Not not really. I don't remember. No. So so what they would have done is make the account in their own name and then claim that the money is his. Yeah. Um, And then my when I needed cash, I would have to ask my father and he's like, what do you need it for? So I would I would um, give it, you know, he would give me some cash. I was never allowed to carry a credit card. And my and if I needed it. Um, my mom would have to give it to me. Um, she would control my credit cards. Um, so I had this meeting with Roy, Roy Simon, Dave Patterson, my father, and they before I went to see Phil Truen, and they had me sign all these documents about this medication that I was going to be prescribed. But I had to see Phil Truen in person to, before he prescribed this medication. So they made you sign documents before Some, even prescribing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a big hint, folks listening right now. That's a big hint. They try and make you sign some documents before a doctor even prescribes it to yeah. you. Something might be up. Um, yeah. In the United States, we have this law. It's called a HIPAA law. Mm-hmm. And HIPAA wouldn't, would not accept that. So just off yeah. the um, So I flew all the way out to Detroit saw Phil Truen for 20 minutes, turned around back to the airport. I go with my dad. Um, flew what all did the way he back say home. in that meeting? Sorry. Do you remember anything he said? I did he prescribe he or tell you the medication that you were going to be on he or did, where they were going to get the medication me. from? So yes, they, he did go over the medication I was going to go on. Um, and he did state that it is, it, it is illegal in the United States. So we will be ordering it from England. Well, there you go, folks. The doctor admits that the medication is fucking illegal. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No problem. Um, so I fly back home with this prescription, and here I am. I go on this medication for three, four years, something like that. I forget. I don't even know. Till I left. I was on it till I left. Um, sometimes I would stop it because I just knew. Um, you remember so, the name of it? Can you say it on here? I do not know. It starts with a C. I actually talked to Craig Hoyle, I think, isn't he? He's another mm-hmm. one that went on a, an illegal medication. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. Um, so it was a chemical castration medication, which it was. They didn't state that to me. So, but folks, they, I want to I repeat what he just said, because I want the listeners to clearly take that in. They put a young man on a chemical castration medication because he masturbated. And I had to hire the sex drive. I think is the name. 
Sif, sif no, you had a normal. Yeah. Yeah. You something had a like normal that. sex drive. Something like that, Rich. Um, so then I went on this, but I was also told not to tell my psychiatrist the medication I was on. <laughs> I was not allowed to tell any any doctors what medication I was on. Okay, so yeah. just for the record, HIPAA laws do not allow priests to administer paperwork for you to go and get med. They are not allowed to keep that paperwork and they are not allowed to administer paperwork yeah. like that. And so, sorry, I, I interrupted Richard. I want Richard to say the name yeah. of the medication so we get that on the record. It's Ciprostat, C-Y-P-R-O-S-T-A-T. That actually sounds familiar, Yeah, uh, the, the it, spelling it, of it, so. It basically changes all your hormones. So it, yeah. it, it, you, you know, if you are, if you're on it for long enough, you would basically be completely feminized. You'd start growing breasts and your testicles would shrink and you would basically you won't you won't feminized. you won't produce yeah. you won't produce sperm. So yeah, Todd, is the reason yeah. why they placed you is the whole the whole issue they had with you was it to do with your sex drive? Was it to do yes. with what, what would be your natural sex drive? Yeah. Um that's what their issue was with this whole time was just your Sex drive. Caught with porn magazines and you know this just, is just general... ridiculous. It's yeah. so heart wrenching because you're how old at this point in time? Do you know what I mean? Like this is mid, just mid to late twenties. I'm almost thirty. Like, this is point. just this is this is absolutely so heart wrenching to know that this is the brain mentality that they have still in there because you you said you're almost coming up to your six year anniversary of leaving. Yeah, is that what you Friday, said? Friday. Like, and I actually do state this. I have not been on one single medication since I've left. Oh, I, I can imagine. I, I'm not either. I'm All my antidepressants are gone. And actually um, all my therapists have told me you don't need them. So. Good. I mean, one thing, one thing just for, for people who've never been in the Brethren that, you know, it's obvious to us, but it won't be obvious to you, is that, of course, you're not allowed to have a girlfriend in the Brethren. If you're a young man in the Brethren or a young woman in the Brethren, you can't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You have to be celibate until you're married. And so this is the position Todd found himself in. He couldn't just do what every other normal person would do and have a girlfriend, nor could he well, well, marry. Actually, Richard, hang on. Yeah, go Richard, on. Richard, hang on. I did have a girlfriend from 19 to about 20, 25. But were like you that. allowed to have any sexual relations with her? No. No, exactly. Well, I can talk to her once not a, a month. Right. And her name was, she's actually not with us anymore. Her name is Janelle Devonish, which a lot of you probably know. I know, Lane, you wow. probably would know her. She passed yeah. away from breast cancer, unfortunately. Huh. Um, and that was not long after we split up and she, within four months, she was married and pregnant. So, huh. um, and unfortunately, the sickening part about that, they had a kid, the kid lived, and within five months, that man was married to her younger sister. Yeah, I remember that. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, but the point is, you don't have a legitimate yeah. outlet for your natural feelings. So yeah, if exactly. people are saying judgmental, goodness, wow, he was looking at porn and so on. Well, yeah. the guy couldn't have a girlfriend. He had no legitimate outlet, no normal outlet for normal, natural, God-given feelings. Yeah. So... Then I was on this medication for quite some time, and I started growing lumps in my breasts. Yeah, I bet you uh, did. Very, very, very uncomfortable. 
I have to say, very uncomfortable. Um, I went and got mammograms. I went and got tests and there were these growths coming up. And, and of course you were not allowed to tell the doctors. I did. I did tell the surgeon. I did tell the surgeon. I did. I did actually give the surgeon the name of it, of what, because he's like, I got to know what's going on here. Like this is, these aren't just going to grow. Like just lumps growing in your breasts. Like, come on. Like, and I just opened up to him. I'm like, this is the medication I'm on FYI. But I was never allowed to tell my psychiatrist because I think about it. They could translate it and realize that something's fucked up here. Excuse my French. Um, So then I went and saw a plastic surgeon because they were painful. They had to be removed. They were extremely painful. I went and had, went to a plastic surgeon and got them removed and, I will tell you to this day, you would never see those scars. I, I would have to That's point good. them out to you I'm to show you happy. where they were. That's awesome. And good. that is one reason I did what I did. So that, again, plastic surgeon is not covered under insurance. So here again, I spent dropped $7,000 to get those lumps removed. And the audacity here. I went to Dave Patterson and told him because he's in the medical field. I said, this is not covered under insurance and this cost me $7,000. Is there any way somebody can help me with that bill? Because it's not my fault because it was this medication I was put on. And you know what he turned around and said to me, you should have just used a general surgeon and it would have been covered under, in, under, under insurance. Think about it for a minute and, Like the it's I'm so sorry. I don't even have that. Like how you are still sitting here today talking to us and able to say it without even breaking down. Man, I have so much respect for you. Like I just can't fathom what you went through, dude. It blows my mind what they did to you. It's uh this is I'll tell you one thing. The woman in my life is once I opened up to her, she because it's the audacity that he has to do something like that to an actual normal human. Mm. Yeah. That's and what, and unfortunately, what... Roy and Dave are just puppets in the show. Yes. Mm. And so you know what? People ask us, you know, why do we why do we go after BDH so much? Why is it always BDH's name that we use? Because he is the puppeteer, he is the one at the top that everybody answers to. So we could sit here like he's the one he has the one that he's the one that has the power to change absolutely everything he is the one calling the shots he's the one calling the medications he's the one calling and telling everybody we know that from Heidi McCamley's stuff that he is the one that they go to for the advice they just get the direction it is it is everything BDH is responsible 100% for every 53 54 podcasts that we have done BDH is take has to take responsibility for it because he is the one that is in his man of God position. He is the one that everybody answers to. Yep. And before yeah, that absolute was control. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for again, for those who haven't been in the brethren, BDH is Bruce D. Hales, who's the current leader of the cult. And he has absolute fine control over every single individual in that cult. Um, but he will not take responsibility. Nope. Because he claims he pushes to be it off on somebody else, Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has scapegoats. 
because he claims to be infallible, every time everything gets screwed up, he has to find someone else to blame because mm. being infallible, it can't be him. Yeah. So, yeah, we're calling him out. We're, we're telling him where the buck stops. Yep. Well, so and he that... brings back people that he uses as his fixer. And Roy happened to be one of those fixers. He yeah. brought Roy back when his, his own family said they would have nothing to do with the man. He was so evil. Yeah. He would which, throw temper tantrums. Which I, I legitimately wouldn't have anything to do with him anyway if it was my father. Yeah. Your description of him with the flames coming out of his eyes is... Yep is so familiar and, and <laughs> yeah. his own kids would tell you that but yeah. bruce needed him he needed a fixer so he brought him back he is somebody in this despite state, the so fact the guy had 25 court cases against him yeah. you know usually in their world you would not be allowed to sit through a meeting with a court case pending against you and roy yeah. had 25 and he brought him back so that he could continue to torture everybody mm -hmm. yeah he was sent all the way up to regina to chew me out um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, he's an ugly guy when he's happy, but when he's in a bad mood and those little piggy eyes go blood red, boy, it's an ugly sight. <laughs> Satan yeah. himself, eh? Looks like a pop belly pig. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then Roy really had nothing to do with that. I never really talked to him about that surgery and that because I went to Dave Patterson because, you know, he had the medical you know, he was in the medical business and, you know, he had, you know, maybe ways of getting around that. But then it just kept going, you know, same thing, day in, day out, you know, masturbation, you know, priestlies and, you know, you know, stay in the clear, everything will work out, your pay will get better, you know, things will work out, you'll get married. And I tried it for a couple of years and it just didn't work. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, that's the whole thing is a crock of shit. I'm sorry. I've talked. And did they keep you on this medication? That's why. Oh, yeah. So you're still on the medication at this point no. in time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even yep. after you've had surgery, they kept you yes. on the medication. They kept me on the medication, and oh my God. and they told me if you get married, you can come off the medication. Holy cow! So wow. How did they get? How, how did they get the medication to you? So I mean, it came, it came from Great Britain. It, from it, came, it was ordered from somebody, some distribution center in England or Great Britain somewhere. Wow. I don't know what country, but it was England, I think. Yeah. And and that cost that cost to get like a three month supply was like five hundred bucks. And you paid for this? Yes, all of my was pocket. There, was and there was a doctor in England that prescribed it? Or no, Phil Truman described prescribed it, and I guess he knew the ways of getting it. So, so that's my question. Can a doctor from America have prescribing authorities in the UK? So anybody that's in that medical field could, you know, message us and let us know. Mm. I know, I know an American doctor cannot prescribe in Canada and a Canadian doctor cannot prescribe in America. So yeah, it exactly. seems, it seems. No, I don't know how they obviously never told me how they, how they, uh, how they would, um, Acquire so, it. so they, was this actually shipped to your door, like FedEx shipped, all the yeah, way shipped, from the shipped UK? Directly, shipped, shipped directly to my house, my parents' house. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, um, that's great. Keep uh, on going on. No, so so then then the surgery happened and, you know, recovery and, you know, same thing, same bullshit. They tell you that you can get out. married. Yeah, they, I could get married, you know. So then, you know, me and Janelle, Janelle Devinish were going together at that uh, before. We split up before that. 
and that was all guidance from BDH. Um, so we, we were going together for a number of years. I was 19 and she was 17. Um, she happened to stay at our house. She knew my sisters quite well. Um, and that's actually how we got a liking for each other. And we started talking and then we were controlled. The minute they knew we liked each other. It was, you could talk once a month for 15 minutes. And, you know, then finally in 2007, January, 2007, we went up to Edmonton. My parents, me, my sisters, believe another one of my brothers went up there for a weekend fellowship meeting or something like that. I forget what it was. Um, I stayed at her house, but she had to go stay at her aunt's house at night because they were worried we were going to do something. Um, so then, oh then it was just like the same thing, you know, you could sit next to each other. You couldn't hold hands. You couldn't give her a hug. You couldn't, you know, none of the, you know, romantic, you know, what a, in a relationship you should be able to do. Um, then we went to Jasper for a day and me and Janelle were sitting next to each other and we were doing stuff, you know, under blankets and because of winter time it was January. Um, we landed up there, go, just step back a couple. We landed there and me and her sat next to each other and there wasn't enough room for all the suitcases. So we put a suitcase on our lap, which gave us the chance to hold hands. My <laughs> sister was next to me. She saw us holding hands under the suitcase. She went and told my dad. My dad came and said, why were you holding Janelle's hand? I'm looking at her. I'm like, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do in a relationship? Um <laughs> So then it just really started, you know, you know, we hung, hang out. We could never be by ourselves. We couldn't be, you know, what it was, you know, like a, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend could do. At one point I was thinking about moving up there, um, relocating to get married and relocate and live up there. Um, but that ended, I shipped all my money up there. Calvin Devonish actually held the most of my money for a good couple of years. Um, and it just never happened. It never, so we shipped it all back. And then BDH was in Vancouver and, uh, her uncle, Janelle's uncle, Calvin Devonish, um, set up a meeting with, for Janelle, cause we were at a state, you know, we wanted to get married and we wanted to proceed. And, um, she talked to him as he was leaving Vancouver and he said, sever your connections and get the Lord's mind. So she wrote a letter to me. I actually had bought her a ring and everything, like a, an engagement ring or a birthstone ring. She shipped everything back to me and wrote it in letter, in writing, that this is what BDH said. And I already knew at the time that there was a guy up there that had the hots for her. Um, I forget his name, Jeremy something or other. Um, so I already knew, and I told her, tell him he does anything with you. I'm going to kick his ass. Like, no, you're mine. This is it. Anyway, BDH said this. So she ended the relationship just like that. No questions. No, like, no, this is, this is not right. I love this man. I want to be with him. I want to be married to him. And within six months, she was married. I think it was within six months. She was married to this man. He had bought a house and 
BDH approved it and off they went. They got pregnant with their first child. And I was actually living at Keith and Mary Locks at the point at that point, and I heard that she had breast cancer. And she was pregnant. She was very close to about eight months pregnant. And they thankfully the baby, they get they brought the baby, and within four weeks she was she passed away. The breast, the cancer took took over, and I heard this. I wasn't even at home, and I heard this. So my sister called me or something. Um, so she was passed away, and then within six months, I hear that he's marrying her younger sister because she was taking care of the son, and BDH said they should get married. So now they have kids together. Think about it. It's like this family affair, just going through sisters like you know so That's it's just sad, like man. one of those things so it's just like you'll be whatever bdh says goes you know um so then i moved on from that you know obviously she still holds a special place in my heart because i really did love her and i did care about her but yeah. you know she's not with us anymore um so then it just things just kept spiraling out of control you know just you know I, I was at a point that I let my parents put a tracker on my vehicle because they didn't believe anything that I said and what I was doing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, I would have, I had to start calling when I left work so they could track how long it would take me to get home. Cause they sort of knew how long it would take. I would oh have to call God. when I got to work. Um, so I started being able to play the system and leaving knowing I wanted to go do something, I would leave. And then when I got to my next appointment or, you know, whatever I was going to do, I called from there and said, Hey, I'm leaving work. And I would be able to drag it out and, you know, sort of pass time that way. Um, but then it just got, then I got so angry one night, I threw my phone across the bedroom because my parents challenged me about something. I forget what it was, but they challenged me about something. It wasn't true. And I just got frustrated and threw my phone across the, the UBT phone, threw it across and the thing obliterated into a million fucking pieces. Good. And so I was like, I need a phone. My parents wouldn't give me another one. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go to Verizon, which that's who my carrier was. And I've got a phone, fully opened, unlocked phone, nothing. I was like, screw it. This is mine. I'm doing it. Um, they couldn't track. It was still under my number, but they couldn't track it. I found that out. But then I knew I had an open phone, so I felt I was doing something guilty, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then they had this thing that they could put on new phones that they could track everything. They could set up an app or something. I forget what it was called. So I set it up because obviously I was doing my stuff on there, you know, watching YouTube videos and watching porn and, you know, doing what guys do, single guys do. And, you know, um, so then I met, this was in 2016, uh, 2017, actually, early 2017. Um, I met a woman at a rest area, unfortunately, it was right down the street from where I worked. And we started chatting and, you know, we exchanged numbers and um, I never had her where she lived, but um, she would, she wanted to meet me. And I was like, maybe this is my way out. I knew I was at a point where mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. like, I have to be free. I, I can't live my life like this because I knew 
I wouldn't get married in there. I was at a point where, you know, I was told by my father, you're too old. No, no woman's going to want you. You're too old. So I'm like, Jesus okay. Um, so um, it happened to be a Thursday night. I was heading, I told my father the night I was leaving, I told my father, I'm bringing my vehicle. I'm extremely tired. I am going to go to church. I'm going to leave right after church and go home. And in the meantime, heading up to church, I was texting with this woman trying to get her address and figure out where we could meet and, you know, yada, yada. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that the app that they put on there, they could track every text message and every <gasps> phone call that you did. So I'm on my way to meeting Thursday night, tearing up the road, and I get a call from my father. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I figured. I sort of started reading between the lines. And he's like, we just realized you're texting with this worldly woman. What is going on here? So I said, Dad, I'm done. I literally did not go to meeting. I got on the highway and I just started heading west. Bucket. I said, I'm done. This is it. This is the point, turning point to me. I'm done. So I stopped at it. I happened to go right by where I worked and I knew there was an Applebee's down the road. Um, so I stopped there and I had a couple beers. Um, sitting at the bar and this lady called me. Unfortunately, we got disconnected and I never got to talk to her again. Um, so I never did meet up with her, but I'm like, I'm at this point now. I figured the only way out is to go have intercourse with somebody. I don't care who it is, just somebody, because I figured if I did that, <laughs> I'd get withdrawn from. So I went to a strip club and I'm like, I'm this far now. Let's go. So I went to a strip club and hung out. Unfortunately, it was across state lines. So they put a hold, my bank account put a hold on my credit card. Because I was, oh, you know, most of the time, if you don't notify them, they'll put a hold on your account. So I went all out. I was in, you know, VIP. I was, you know, racking up the bills. Getting the bottle service. Yeah. Having the and time knew, of your life. Yeah. And I knew I could have, I knew I could have, I knew I had what I knew, you know, credit limit I had on my card. So I knew I could pretty much run that up. Unfortunately, you know, we were starting to, you know, go up to the VIP and they needed to run the card and it was frozen. So, cause I used that card to pay to get into the club. Didn't realize it was frozen. So the only one that would unfreeze that is my father. So I'm like, fuck this. I'm calling my father. Unfortunately, still had the tracker on my phone. So he knew exactly where I was. <laughs> um, so I said, listen, dad, I need the, uh, I need the passwords to unlock this so I can talk to the bank. I need to pay this bill and I'm coming home. Nope. I'm not giving you that card. I know where you are. At. I'm coming to get you. I'm like, father, you're not going to come out here and get me. I know that you will not find me by the time I, by the time you get here, I will not be here. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> so I knew at that point I'm turning off the phone. I figured that's the best way because once the phone is off, they can't track it. Yeah. So unfortunately, I never did, I never did um, pay that woman. They, my father refused to give me the accounts and I never paid that woman. So it's, so we never ended up doing anything. It never did end up going. You're anywhere. forgiven. You're forgiven. Um, but, you know, I felt bad about it. I held this lady up all night and um, 
so then I slept in my car overnight because it was a decent drive home. It was probably about two hours away. So I slept in my car overnight. And then I, um, I figured I've gone this far. What can I do just to seal the deal? So I went to a massage parlor the next morning. I knew what time they opened. I knew which one I could go to to get what I needed to get. So I, so I went there and I, I, thankfully I did get all my account information so I could withdraw cash. So I withdrew cash, went and did what I did and I needed clothes. I didn't have clothes. So I was like, screw it. This was a Friday morning. I went home, went into my bedroom my father stayed home from work. He was doing work from the kitchen table. So I stayed in there, got sleep, did what he did. So I went home and then my dad came into my room at some point Friday night or Saturday or something and said, you need to write everything down that has happened. And, you know, I'm going to go to the priest about it. So I did. And um, I did. And uh, within 24 hours on Saturday, I, um, I figured I'd go home, I'd go down and get, I needed lunch. So I went to a restaurant and got lunch and I got a call from my father saying, I need you home. We have a place for you. You have to move out. We have a place for you to go. So I went, I went home, packed up some stuff. My father had rented a hotel room for me and I went there and I, um, that's the really the beginning of it. I mean, the beginning of my new life. Um, so then I just started getting harassing emails, you know, emails from different members because I had already got a new phone and a new email address. Um, and my father already knew it. So he was handing it out to like, you know, older people in the church that I knew that I may have gotten along with. And I started getting all these emails from them, you know, sending me quotes of scripture and, you know, stuff like that. And, so for the first two months, I lived in a hotel, you know, because I didn't, I quit my job because I was like, I, you know, it's where my brother lived. I had, it's a P business. So they were all there. So it was going to be, I couldn't start a new life being there because it would have been too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just quit the job. I didn't go back. Um, so I started racking up credit card bills, you know, running myself out of money, which I didn't have a lot of it anyway because I never was paid very much. Um, and then I, um, so then things, I finally reached out to my brother. I found him through social media. Um, and that's really when things started changing. I was able to get some money from him to pay for my first place to live. Um, and I found a job. And then about three weeks later, I met the woman I am with now. She was renting in the apartment below me. Um, we bumped into each other and, you know, we started chatting and we've been together ever since. Um, I have an amazing job now. Um, and, you know, I am, I'm here today. You just need to be compensated for all those years that you had to pay for your own prescriptions. Um, yeah, but but I I actually a side note I so in 2000 I had just left recently BDH must have come through in about 2018. My father must have had a meeting with them and they decided to withdraw from me. 
um, early on then I did say to my father, I said, father, did you look into those me that illegal medication to see what it was going to do to me before you approved that them putting your son on that? And he said, no. And I said, father, do you realize that was killing me? And he said, they did it out of love. Oh. He wouldn't, that he wouldn't let does it go. not make it all right. That yeah. does not make it okay. No and, matter what so, emotion you felt doing it, it was illegal. Yeah. So I said to him, I was like, Father, that is not love. Yeah, that's control. That is not love. Yeah. Um, so then in 2018, he wanted to have a meeting with me because obviously BDH said that we would withdraw from you. So I said, fine, we'll have a meeting. I was like, would you want to go to like a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts or something to sit down? He's like, me and mom want to meet you, you know, somewhere. And I was like, fine, we can go meet in the morning and have a cup of coffee and chat. I have no problem with that. So my brother came with me um, because obviously they like numbers. They like to come and you yeah. know, have two or three yeah. guys and or guys, girls, whatever they are. Yeah. So he's like, no, we'll just meet in a parking lot. I'm like, great. That's a great way to have a meeting. Meet in the middle of a parking lot, you know, four guys standing outside this car, jabbering <laughs> away and, you know, people driving by like, who the, what the hell is going on here? Why don't you go into the Dunkin' Donuts? So we pull up and my brother, my, we pull up and my mother's not in the vehicle. So I'm like, okay, I guess something changed. My father gets out and says, mother couldn't make it. It had been too difficult for you, for her to see you. I was like, okay. So I walked up to my father and tried to give him a hug and he pushed me away. He said, I cannot hug you due to your position. I was like, okay, no problem. If that's what you want to be. But my older brother, my older brother, my oldest brother was there as a witness. Um, so he went and stated what we were going to do, you know, withdraw from you based on two Timothy two or whatever the crock of shit is. I don't fucking care at this point. Um, it's all just words to me anyway. Um, and I said, that's fine. No problem, Father. I knew it was coming. I had no problem with that. Um, but I said, can I say one thing? He's like, yeah. And I said, Father, the one thing that's wrong with, with the, the brother, I said, is you have to go through a man to get to God, have your link with God. Yeah. And I said, that is not right. I said, I can have my own link with God. And he said, Todd, I'm stopping you in your tracks. I'm not talking about it. Didn't want to about that, yeah. that, folks, is what a father says to a son that is being completely yeah. brainwashed since birth. Yeah. They choose their faith and their stupid beliefs over their own children. It's yeah. disgusting. And they call it a beautiful Christian mainstream yeah. church. A family, family. Not what they loving. did to Todd. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the values of what is it? Love, care, and compassion. Something like that. Um, so then, you know, um, unfortunately, me and my brother, oldest brother, look almost identical. You would think we were twins. And so when we went, uh, my old, my younger brother's wife was with us in another vehicle with my fiance now because um, they wanted to see my father and my brother. Um, and we look so similar that my fiance now couldn't pick, couldn't pick me and him out. They, he thought 
they couldn't recognize. He, so that's how similar we look. But, you know, I asked I asked him how how his kids, wife and kids were doing. And, you know, it was sort of just a blanket statement. Um, so then we sort of just w- went back to the vehicle and left. You know, we at that point, we went to a restaurant and hung out and had some drinks and stuff. But it was just like, yeah. Um, but that that's really where the end was. Um, and then it just, I sort of found my new life. You know, I have an amazing woman in my life now. She would take a bullet for me. She would do whatever it took to take care of me um, and vice versa. Um, but, you know, I really don't talk to my father ever, neither my mother. Um, and unfortunately, that is, I felt that it's easier that way then because every time i have talked to him it's the same you know yeah, it's hard oh, we're it praying for you and yeah 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 um so yeah it's uh it's been a journey i have to say but um it has been an amazing experience and so how long did it take you to come off of those medic like obviously you left and did you come immediately off i stopped the medications immediately yeah um, I stopped the illegal one, you know, a little bit, you know, I would get off it for, you know, a few weeks and then all of a sudden, you know, something would come up and like, Oh, I better get back on this medication. And, um, it was, um, but I can see now what I know now is why there is so many screwed up yeah. marriages, relationships in there, because there is no health education there's no sex education and so prescriptions is, like this should not be handed yeah. out and this legally needs to be dealt with and so i would love for every bruce when you're watch this just know this will all legally be dealt with this is mm-hmm. this is not okay you cannot you cannot be given permission for this kind of thing to happen and it legally needs to stop we legally need to do something about this so that this does not continue yeah agreed you know, and I just want to put this out there, Todd, like we've gotten to know each other over the last couple months. And, you know, I've heard your story and I am amazed at what a loving, kind person you yeah. are after all you. that you've been through. You're you're the nicest per You send the nicest messages to everybody, all your friends, all the time. You are just positivity and love. And after what you've been through... To be so full of love, Todd, after what you've been through, it restores my faith in human beings because that's what I yeah. faith in. I, I try I've, to. I've, I've come to what I have come to is that I need to be nobody needs to be treated the way I am. I need to be a very positive. I try to be as positive a person. Sometimes it's very hard to be, but I try to be as positive a person and try to just send as much love as I can to anybody um, and just give somebody a hug say hello to somebody, tell them, you know, we love you, you know, and in there, that is so wrong. Like I remember one time in there, my cousin, we were doing work at her house and she was down about something. So I just put my hand on her shoulder and tried to say something positive to her. And the look I got from her that I actually put my hand on a woman on her shoulder. No, not, not like on the bot or, you know, nothing on her shoulder. And I felt like it was this look I got. I felt like I did something awful. Yeah. 
I get the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I just, I try to, I tell my therapist the same thing. I've come in contact with an amazing therapist that has, you know, I've only talked. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah. She has been an amazing help. Um, so yeah, I try to be, you know, send as much love out to people. Um, obviously everybody that is left, um, all has, you know, challenges and difficulties and, um, we all have challenges in life, but what I've, what I've taken from coming out is try to show as much love as you can try to try to tell somebody, say hello to them. Like I, even at work, I always thank somebody for how, how hard they've worked for me. I've, I, I go through and say goodbye to every person in the office before I leave, if they're there. Um, and in the morning I try to go in and say, how you doing? Say hello to all the guys, my bosses, everything. I just try to be a positive person towards my customers. And it just, Amazing. it's, I feel that's the only thing I can do to somebody, some of the stories I've heard and people I've come in contact that have left just to show them, you know, tell them, you know, we love you. It really you know? is about us banding together though, isn't it? Like it, it really is. is. It's, I find that too, some of the greatest solace comes out of those messages when two, three of us are all hurting together. Mm. And we just, because we understand what that, that the heartache that that other person is coming, is going through, that it is really truly about us coming together. And it takes a village. It literally does take a village for us to be able to create and break through what we need to break through with this movement. I have no doubt in my mind no doubt in my mind anymore that we won't accomplish what we set out to accomplish. Um, BDH needs to be held accountable. That is the whole purpose of this is accountability has to happen because without accountability, no change can happen. And it isn't about, this isn't about destroying the BB, PBCC. It's not about that, but there are, there are awful, horrific things and practices that they have in there that need to be stopped. BDH needs to be held accountable and it needs to become just a mainstream Christian church. That's what it yeah. needs to come right now. I, I have no problem. Called. I have no problem with, no. with general Christians, No, but it, it's, it's look what it's led into. Like, and I, I've yeah. said this to plenty of people when in the nineties, I don't remember it like this. You know, you, they were like, general Christians, you know, like you read the Bible more and all that, but like as BDH took over, it was more about reading the white books. They pushed the white books, his ministry pushed his ministry. And, and it wasn't all about the Bible anymore. It was about what he said, what he talked about, what yeah. his sons talked about, you know, what they did in business, all of a sudden business seminars, you know, you know, look what he does, look what, you know, and it just became so commercialized. Yeah. Um, even from, it's, it, um, go ahead, Rick, Richard. No, I, I, it was me. I was just going to say oh, it's yeah. human worship, right? It's yeah. human worship. That's what it is. That's what it's become. But that's been around for thousands of years. But I think under Bruce Hales, yes, the cult became even more prominent in its worship of, of a human, mm -hmm. right? And it's really gross in this day and age to have that level of worship of a human being. Along yeah. with greed, right? Like they become yeah. so greedy. Yeah. Well, that's that's the other thing. I still remember dumping all this money into these baskets and you know, like giving the care care meetings and the amount we would give, and most of it, good portion of it, would go to BDH every month. Yep. And it was just like, 
you know, where is, where's the, your own concern for your own family, your own, you know, everything was about what you're going to put in that basket. And, you know, I take Abby Thompson or whatever her story, you know, when she told and how she broke down because she came out so recently, it has become like a business. Yeah. It's not about Christianity and, you know, trying to spread good word. It is all about business and how they can make as much money and suck everything out of any individual in it. And some people don't have it. I mean, we have, we yes. talk to people that are just being bled dry. With I, I don't know how my father did. I don't know how my yeah. father and mother did it because yeah. my father was, he worked, he worked very hard, but he never made anything. I mean, I don't know what he made, but I could tell you right now, he didn't make a, make a lot, but he, you know, I wouldn't be where I was and act like I'm acting now. If it wasn't for my father, I give him that credit. Yeah. Um, and I don't blame my leaving on my father. I blame it on the church. I don't leave him because of him. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he is very brainwashed. Exactly. They're just a product um, of the, yeah. yeah, they're a product of their environment. Yeah. They're, they're um, very brainwashed. And yeah. I, I want to touch on a point <clears throat> before we close out today. Um, and that's about masturbation. Okay. Um, it's totally normal when done privately. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're in the brethren and you are wondering if you why you want to look at girls so much and you're a young boy, that that's a normal feeling. Okay, I'm not telling you to go look at it or anything. I'm just saying that's normal. Um, also, if you're above 18, you're allowed to have sex, consensual sex, but <laughs> use protection, be smart. And let me tell you a little secret. At no point do you need a piece of paper signed in front of judges or God's blessing on having sex? Consensual adult sex is completely fine and healthy and you're allowed to do it long before you get married. And actually on that note, I have to say, I have felt so much better. Um, and actually my fiance has known a major difference from the first time we, we met from all the medications I was on to what I am at now. Yeah. She, she, you could, it's night and day. And it is an amazing, it, it just shows you what God made. That's what they made him for. Like that's, you know, to have that consensual sex, it is healthy for you. It's actually yeah. good for your body. Yeah. Yes. That's what I've yes. learned since I've left. Yeah. yeah. It's and there's no shame in it. It's there. It's, it's no actually shame. very healthy for you. Um, um I got to add something else today. I just want to speak directly to members that are still inside that feel the urge to say things to us. Death threats are taken very seriously. They're they're given to the police immediately. If you if you send a death threat to any one of us, we have to contact the authorities immediately and it helps paint a picture of how crazy the cult is. If you send harassing comments and emails that are disgusting and allegations completely false, we have to send these on to the police and they actually help paint a picture of how incredibly sick some of you are in there and you need help. And you need to talk to therapists about it. But there's no room 
for harassment or death threats. We won't tolerate it at all. We don't, we, uh, a note there at Lane, we don't do it to them. Exactly. We don't send them mail like that or letters or emails. No. I surely would We tell the truth. We tell no, the truth. No, and for a Christian community, us. some of the stuff, some of the emails we get and mm. some of the messages that I have to take off of YouTube are pretty violent. And yeah. just so you, when you go underneath anonymous names, the police can figure out who you are, right? Oh. So- yeah. That all has been sent. Everything that comes our way. So when anybody sends stuff our way, it immediately goes to the police, right? So we're not replying well, anything to that's, you. Anything that's harassing or everything that's harassing. We're not replying to you. We're not going to engage in your in 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 this this stuff. It just goes straight to the police. So just so you know that when we don't reply to you, it's because it's gone to the police, and we're not going to engage in it. It's just that's well, not that's- what this is about. This is about That's people what I'm who've been abused coming on and telling their stories and whatever you've been told in there, whatever goes on in there. And I know Bruce gets you guys riled up with this whole removal and praying for everybody's deaths, right? I understand that that probably puts pressure on you, but you have to ask yourself, is that what a true Christian does? Does that show care and compassion? Because on you, that's what you guys stand for. You guys stand for this care and compassion. That isn't care and compassion. So you need I, to I'll have care right and compassion for those people that are on here. I agree. And and we know, you know, we've heard all about these, these prayers that things are going to end for us. And I want to say, if they are working, they're working in very mysterious ways because a guy came up to me yesterday and handed me a cigar on the street for free. And the margaritas, the pool, and the Caribbean sun, God is really punishing me in very mysterious ways. Cheers. Yeah. But they've um, had all these extra special prayers and prayer meetings, apparently, that we're going to be removed. And I, I did have a slight headache the other day. So maybe <laughs> maybe something's getting through, but they'd have to try a little bit harder. Yeah. No, that and was it, the prayers hitting the ceiling and coming back down. That's what okay. hit my head. <laughs> you know, Just clarifying. And, yeah. And, you know, I believe what you put out into the world is exactly what you will get back. If you put out mm. hatred, yeah, exactly. judgment, if you hate the world, well, guess what? The world's going to hate you back and it won't be comfortable. You know, if you put love out into the world like Todd is, okay, his friendship and his love that he just pours out of him, mm. that's why he's doing so great. That's why he's fucking loving life. You know what's going to happen? The brethren are going to pray and pray and pray for wicked people to remove. And then one day Bruce Hales is going to disappear. And they'll never be able to figure out why. And, and you guys yeah. did it, right? Like, I mean, that's the whole thing is that you got to be watching when you're praying for evil people that, you know, people might start dropping left, right and center in there. You might get what you ask for. Well, <laughs> sorry, I had to. That's all right. Todd. Uh, that's okay. That's all good. Um, I just. Wanted to add on that when I got back on, Um, you know, people, I I think about it quite a bit. Why is there so much sickness in there? Mm -hmm. Why? Really think about it. How many people, like my father texted me a few times about somebody passing away from cancer or something like that. And I'm like, but then I have a brother and sister that got married in there, you know, and I'm like, why can't I said to him, why you tell me about deaths? Why can't you tell me something positive about my family? And he's, no reply 
But there, if you think about how many people have come down with illness, sickness, cancer, something, you know, and they it's always try they to have hate. an excuse for it. It's the stress. It's the abuse. It's, it's the stress the, and the pressure of their lifestyle. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I there's, agree. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you could, doctors could have, could prove us right on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's. There's been studies. Okay. Yeah. You can, you can make yourself sick with hatred. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Hatred is an acid. It does more damage to the vessel it's stored in than the vessel it's poured on. Yeah. Very so well for, said. Very yeah, well, well said. Exit it out at that point. Well, thank you so much, Todd. We really appreciate you coming no on and sharing your story. Um, I, I just got to process it. I, I think that we will see in the near future um, ways to be able to hold accountability um, mm. for situations like yours. I, yeah. I know that this will go somewhere. I have, I don't have any doubt in my I mind. I just anymore. hope, I just hope, like I told Lane privately, I hope, I hope, all I hope is that somebody in there that might be going through the same thing or very similar, um, just to bring some awareness to it. Yeah. I'm not here to judge anybody, but it, it's got to be awareness. So it stops. It's exactly, not, you know, yes, I'm not it, out here to start pointing fingers at everybody. Obviously we know who's wrong. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have some awareness towards it, you know, I'm not out here to try mm -hmm. to, you know, pick a fight or any of that. I'm more trying to bring awareness to what has happened yeah. and what and is awareness still brings happening. change, right? That's yeah. the whole key is we're trying right, to we bring hope. this change. We have, there has to be change in there. Yeah. And because our families are in there, right, we can see it now that we're out. And that's why it's mm -hmm. super important for, we are their voice right now, right? Yeah. That's what it comes down to is we are those people's voice. So, I mean, in this case, if you're taking the drug that Todd was put on, don't take it. Like, mm -hmm. do not, that's horrible, horrible, horrible for your system. Don't yeah. take it. And you don't have to take it. But yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd. We really, really appreciate no it. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Okay. Take care, everyone. Much love to you all. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to alloflief.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.